Before we get started, before any of this starts, I'd like to remind you that you can experience an ad-free version of this by clicking the link in the description that says plus.acast.com slash s slash Radio Free Catholic. May God bless you and the Virgin protect you. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Exurgat Deus disipentur in amicius, et fugiancio derendeum apaceus. Let God arise and let his enemies be scattered, and let all those who hate him flee from before his face. You know, the current scandal that's coming out of the Vatican bothers me, actually, a great deal. And it doesn't bother me for the reasons that you might think. I mean, yeah, okay, so Cardinal Fernandez is a perv. Okay, got it. Um, What bothers me about it is the fact that there's nobody to connect a few of these dots. See, right now, everybody is scandalized by the books that have come out from Cardinal Fernandez and the heresies and great heresies at that, um, like to the levels of blasphemy. And I, well, yeah, anyway. Um, the fact is, is everybody who's reviewing all of this material doesn't have the exposure to the elements that are inspiring Cardinal Fernandez's books. And I really wish I didn't. But since nobody else is going to tie this together, I'm going to tie this together. This is Caleb the Mechanic with Radio Free Catholic. Let's get started with a prayer. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Sancta Michael Arcangelo, defende nos in puerio. Contra nequitiam et insidias, diaboli est opraecidium. Imperet ilidea, supplicas de precamor, duque princeps militae calestis, santana maliosque, spiritus malignos, que ad perditionem animarum, Pervegantur in mundo divina virtute, in infernum detrutum. Amen. May the most precious blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ cover cover everyone who is listening to this podcast and cover the speaker so that we we may be preserved free from sin as we discuss a very controversial topic that may, in fact, be scandalous to some. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he preserve you in this time of darkness. 
Cor Jesus Sacratissimo Miserere Novus. Mater Dolorosa, ora pro nobis. Sancti Joseph, ora pro nobis. Domine, ostende facium tuum et salvierimus, Ave Maria Purissima, Immaculata Conceptio Es, in nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. <clears throat> All right. <clears throat> so, let's see. Cardinal Fernandez, um, Victor Cardinal Victor Cardinal Fernandez, also known as Tucho Fernandez, um, in large in large part actually due to the uh, revelation that he wrote the other book, Heal Me with Your Mouth, um, a borderline blasphemous book on its own, but actually has nothing compared to the book that everybody's talking about now. The title of which I cannot recall, and I got to be honest with you, I don't care enough to look it up because I don't want too loud in any way, even by accident, any of this nonsense. Now, <clears throat> this book uh, apparently was written in the 90s, 80s, 90s, something like that. Um, right around the time, I guess, I, I guess it was before he became a bishop. I'm not entirely sure. I don't know. Um, timeline is unimportant. There was something that set off within me when I was hearing about the book, Heal Me With Your Mouth, which makes me feel dirty just saying the title, which is the other reason why I have no intention of actually looking up to pull on the screen so this way I can read it and be like, oh yeah, it's this book. Now, there's a priest. Most people would know him. Um, read a page of this, realized that he did, like, because he was actually going to um, spread the information and instead of actually spreading, because it would have actually included portions on PDF from the book, he deleted every all of the PDF. So because he he like it was that nasty. And to hear a description from a traditional priest like that, and I got to be honest with you, you know, I <clears throat> a lot of the better priests that I know, they know how to kind of skirt around stuff and not say anything specifically that's going to scandalize the faithful. Um, and they seem to have a significant endurance for wicked things that are written on the, that are written on the page. So they're, they're a lot of, a lot of the ones I know, they have that level of endurance. And I thought that this, this priest in particular would have had that level of endurance. Um, it would have actually been able to do a deeper examination of what was going on in the book. The fact that he could not, I believe is actually indicative that people, that no one should see the book. No one should read the book. You like just, if you get an opportunity to look at it, skip it. Don't even bother. And the reason for that is, is because I can tell you based on the excerpts that have been read um, by a few people and all of them, good Catholic men shamed to actually read the words. <clears throat> Which is the other reason why I'm not even going to bother pulling this up. Like the book itself, um, just reading the words would likely be enough of a near occasion for me that it would that it would unsettle me as well. So I'm perfectly content in just going off of the excerpts as they were just, and particularly the excerpts that were quoted verbatim. And I can tell you that Cardinal Fernandez is probably a Rosicrucian 
or an or at some on some general level a gnostic that's g n o s t i c gnostic as in the ancient heresy that plagued the church that though it was ancient plagued the church for more than 1500 years until we basically kind of gave up on it because it was because you had protestants out there and by then it's like okay you know what this is out of the bag there's really not a whole lot we can do with it we're not we're not going to wage an eternal war to exterminate all the all the protestants and everybody else who happens to be doing all of these diabolical things and so we're just going to you know we're going to sit back and try to you know defend the faith um personally i think this should have been eradicated all right for those of you who are unaware rosicrucianism is a freemasonic satanic cult um they are part and parcel with the ordo templi orientis which was alistair crowley's alistair crowley's outfit um the ordo templi orientis and the rosicrucians like i said both pretty well aligned um they share a benefactor in mariano cardinal rampalo de tindaro uh, who very nearly actually became pope instead of pope saint pius the 10th were it not for the actions of Franz Josef, Emperor Franz Josef of the Holy Roman Empire, who actually, who very cautiously and was not too particularly pleased with the fact that he needed to intervene in such a way, vetoed by way of one of the cardinals the election of Cardinal Rampallo to the pontificate. Now, Cardinal Rampolla was directly connected with the Ordo Templi Orientis. Tucho Fernandez, by his words, appeared, appears to be connected to the Ordo Templi Orientis. Now, I'm fairly certain that, that there's a large portion of the hierarchy, up in, particularly in the Curia, that are probably actually Freemasons. And if they're Freemasons, then there's a percentage of them who are probably who are not Catholic and are in fact Rosicrucians or other form of Luciferian cultists. Now, the reason why I say this is because the core thesis of this other book is that through the act of consummation of what should be the marital debt. The core thesis is, is that through that act, you can connect and touch with the divine. This is a core tenet in all of the satanic cults. From Wicca, the dark side, the, the <laughs> I'm going to say the dark side of Wicca. I'm going to put that a little bit tongue in cheek because it's Wicca, so it's witchcraft regardless. But sex magic is actually in is is actually a a core component of Rosicrucianism, Kabbalism, the Ordo Templi Orientis, Gnosticism. And those are the names that we kind of know it by today. Now, members of the Ordo Templi Orientis, members of the Rosicrucians, and members of these Gnostic sects give themselves titles. <clears throat> you know, things like Grand Master or whatever. 
How do I know? This used to be my neck of the woods. It's one of the, it's the only reason why I'm talking about it is because this used to be my neck of the woods. That was the path I walked down. So when I hear somebody talking about the sex act and getting into detail about the climax and getting into detail about the biology and the physiology of the sex act and how it connects to the so-called sacred, small s in scare quotes, because it's blasphemy to actually say such a thing as sacred. And mind you, I'm not talking about the sex act itself being sacred. The actual consummation of, of the marital debt with the openness to life and allowing God to create life from that act is one of the ways in which humanity, mankind, man, men and women, share in the divine. It's part and parcel of the image and likeness of God that, because we share in the creative power in that. Now that is theologically certain, but the physiological chemical responses that are elicited, the idea that that in some way connects you to the divine, the way you feel, how your emotions, the endorphins and the norepinephrine and all of those things that are coursing through your system, the serotonin, etc., all of those, see, the idea that those chemicals flowing through your veins somehow and, and, and inebriating your brain somehow connect you with the divine is absolutely false. It is blasphemy to say that the consummation of the sex act for the, for the purpose of attaining pleasure Meaning, converting the sex act not into its divine, its divine and natural functions, converting it from the natural function specifically to the hedonistic function, you might say the Manichaean function, that is the crime. To pursue the sex act as a form of hedonism as, as, and, the, and, to, and to pursue the hedonistic, the, the pleasurable aspects of it as an attempt to reach God. I can run down the list of people who pursued this. Francis Barrett. Sir Francis Bacon. Why there's two Francis's, I don't know. Alephus Levy. Martin Luther. He wasn't, he wasn't one of these Ordo The Ordo Templi Orientis is a, is a later development, well after him. But that compulsion puts, it, puts him in this category. I want to, I need to take a second and kind of dial it back. Aleister Crowley. Buckley, Jack Parsons. These are all things that were actually like this is one of the this is one of the evils. I don't know if you ever read the book or or, or watched the movie The Da Vinci Code. Um, and I pray that you didn't. If you did, don't if you did back and you were away from the faith and you enjoyed it, you'll find that if you go back to it as a Catholic, 
you'll find it absolutely disgusting, absolutely heretical, absolutely abominable. And that is because the Da Vinci Code is not about the Catholic Church. The Da Vinci Code is about Gnosticism and Kabbalism. It's about the Rosicrucians. It's about them. And all of these heretical and, and apostatic claims that there was some kind of secret knowledge hidden by the church in order to hide the, the identity of Christ. These are the same people who make the blasphemous proclamation that our Lord bore a child with Mary Magdalene. Simultaneously, they're the same people who would blaspheme Our Lady and calumniate St. Joseph and say that they engaged in the marital act and that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ not was not virgin-born, was but was, in or may have been virgin-born, or whatever. Like, they come up with whatever nonsense and blasphemy and wickedness in order to sully the image of the Blessed Mother, the image of St. Joseph, and the image of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to deconsecrate, and in the case of Christ, to de-deify, to remove, to de-divinize, to extricate his divinity from his humanity, and thereby completely eradicate everything that was special and everything that God put into place for, for his plan for our salvation. And the moment that you do that, they're immediate, and this is the reason why you know it is evil, because the moment you do that, the call to holiness suddenly vanishes. Because now it's not about a call to holiness. Now it's not about actually achieving friendship with God. Now it's pulling God down to the base level of a pig or a dog so that you can stand shoulder to shoulder with the Almighty. And that is absolutely Luciferian. It is absolutely satanic. It is absolutely evil. And it's an evil I know and I recognize. By the grace of God, I escape the halls of the enemy. By the grace of God, Our Lady came into my life. By the grace of God, Our Lord extended to me His mercy. And that path of death and destruction, and hell that flowed from the pen of Cardinal Tucci Fernandez into those books, I will tell you with absolute certainty what he wrote is from hell. I will not call him a heretic because he's not. I will merely say he's not Catholic.
I don't even care if he distances himself from those books. Having written those books, he has no place in any high office in the church. He has no place exercising any authority, least of all in the holy office. Least of all as a preserver of the faith. Least of all as a guardian of the deposit of faith. Especially since he's already actually come out and said that he doesn't believe there is such a thing as, a de as the deposit of faith. Now, I'm not going to call him a heretic. He's not a heretic. He's an apostate. What he believes is not Catholicism. What he believes doesn't even qualify as Christianity. What he was teaching with those books and what he's trying to promote with fiducia supplicants under the pen of under the pen of Pope Francis, I know that path. That path leads straight to hell. As to what it says about their souls, I got to be honest with you. I don't really care. I don't really care. What I care is that there are going to be tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, of Catholics who are going to actually, especially since we're raising a stink about it. And we're not talking about it in its proper context. People are saying, oh, this is scandalous and this, that, and the other. And there are people out there who are going to look at it and say, well, that's how far the church is going. Well, then maybe that's the best place for me to go. And that is not the direction that we want them to go. Now, some of them, many of them, many, and glory be to God in the highest, many Catholics are going to reject this. Many Catholics are going to hear about this and it's going to scandalize them as badly. And they're going to look at it and be like, what is a cardinal actually doing? And the thing that I've actually found most bewildering is that there was somebody saying, okay, well, we need to go ahead and pump the brakes and be a little bit measured. And I discovered that one of their sacred cows was Pope John Paul II. Now, I don't have anything actively against Pope John Paul II. I have my doubts as to whether or not he, ha he was supposed to be raised to the altars. I don't have my doubts about his salvation. I just happen to think that he might be one of those people spending some time in purgatory. And I don't think that he, like, for all of the supposedly great things he did, all of those things he did, and in the world, they were epic. They were moving, like earth-shaking. You know, hello, mountains, get out of the way because John Paul II is coming through. Like, really, really epic stuff. And I'm not taking away from his, from any odor of sanctity that may have been around him. But when you mention the fact that Pope John Paul II wrote tracts, T-R-A-C-T-S, very, very difficult word to pronounce properly so that the words come out. It's up there with the word sect. You say that in plural and all of a sudden it's something else entirely. <clears throat> there were, con like he says, okay, well, 
you know, there were contexts and this, that, and the other, and it was written in, in, you know, in coordination with, you know, married couples and this, that, and the other. And I'm like, okay, cool, fine. However, if you get that close, if you get that close to the act, and you're not in the state of life where that act is something that you can do. You're going to have a very, very hard time convincing me that when you're writing about some of this stuff, it's not a near occasion of sin. I believe there's a reason why there's not a lot in the way of published work that goes into any kind of detail about sex. And I believe that the reason for that is, is because if you focus on it to examine it, what's going to end up happening is you're going to be opening yourself up to a lot of dirt. And I'm not talking about the sex act itself. Objectively, there's not objectively there's no judgment I could make on the sex act, and obviously, um, but I but the church is very specific in its teachings about order and disorder when it comes to sex. It's very in detail, and for somebody who's not actually supposed to be really talking about it, it's very very difficult for me to say, okay, you can go ahead and observe, you know, do your scientific study, your scientific observations. Um, but if you have any understanding of the language, the language is going to have an effect on you. So talking about it explicitly is not the best idea if you're a priest. And that's just the language. You're also talking about something that has a very great deal of emotion, which is a devil's playground. Literally, it's a devil's playground. Because the, because the devil specifically has the capacity to manipulate human emotions to push them and drive them in particular directions. Now, I'm not saying that because John Paul II wrote about this that he was pushed in those directions. No, I'm not saying that at all. What I am saying is, is that that is the kind of, that is the kind of topic that is extra, extra, just ultra when it comes to dangerous. It's like the flag of Spain plus ultra. There's more beyond when it comes to dangerous because you're talking about, because you're, because you're going over a topic that paradoxically is simultaneously one of the most base acts that produces one of the most glorious effects. Because sex is a base act. And the glorious effect is the creation of life. The glorious effect is procreation, it's children. But if your state and status in life requires that you're called to chastity, humility, obedience, poverty, etc., if you're a religious person, like if, if you're called to religion to do to do your duty before God in an extra special way, 
studying the carnal act. So there's a, it's a carnal act. Like, it's carnal. I don't know why I didn't use the word earlier, because it's when it makes it so terribly obvious what's going on there. At its best, it's still carnal. And at its worst, it's evil. Now, in Gnosticism, with the Rosicrucians, um, the Thelemites, and the Ordo Templi Orientis, when you're engaging in sex magic, it actually does not matter if you're straight or gay. It doesn't matter if the sex act is done to men, a man and a woman, two women, a man and two women, two men and a woman, eight, eight men, eight women, 36 men. It does not matter. The type of sex that, that Cardinal Fernandez was describing in this book is the type of sex that would be observed in witchcraft. I really hate the word witchcraft. It's it's almost nice. It's like, oh, it's the craft. Oh, yay. It's witchcraft. Sorcery. It's perversion. <clears throat> what he describes... Now, I don't know. I look at Cardinal Fernandez, and he gives me the sense... Like, the pictures of him give me the sense he's light in the loafers. He may not be. But the other thing that he kind of gives me the sense of is that he might actually be... Um, who was it who did the... Oh, I don't remember who did... who. Whoever the comedian was at the... <clears throat> excuse me. The comedian at the, at the Golden Globes last night. Um... the Hollywood pedophile thing. Look. I need to be careful here. Okay, because what I'm about to say is as an accusation is as dark and as evil as it gets. Okay? Yes, pedophilia is evil. That's absolutely true. What Cardinal Fernandez describes in his book, what he tries to connect people to in his book, makes the run-of-the-mill pedophilia like warm milk. Bland, soft, and comforting. Okay? What he's talking about in this book that everybody's all bothered about is sex magic. Is ritualized sex. That's what he's talking about. Ritualized 
sex opens the door for all of the darkest things. Ritualized sex is the sort of thing that also eventually gets connected with child sexual abuse. And the thing that gives me the greatest concern is that in and around the Vatican, you occasionally have underage children, orphans, poor kids, just go missing. And this has been a thing for a while, but it is sort of become more notable since Car at least since Cardinal Bernadine and a few others would likely include, from what I understand, which also included Ted McCarrick that were featured in the opening scenes of Malachi Martin's Windswept House. Malachi Martin put that in there as the opener to set the tone for where everything else was in the book. Beyond that, it was actually largely a political thriller. Um, it's to set the tone for the level of evil that you're dealing with. What Cardinal Fernandez wrote about in his books, he didn't dive into what it is that I'm saying. However, you must understand that Cardinal Fernandez wrote these books 20, maybe 30 years ago, and there is absolutely no way in hell that what he wrote about, he somehow didn't engage in. And if he engaged in those things 20 or 30 years ago, then I can also tell you that there is no way in hell that it did not descend to the depths that I suspect. Why is this of concern? <clears throat> this bo these books that he's written, this uh, document that they that the that they just issued, Fiducia Superchemist, these are at the vestibule of what's next. And at the vestibule of what's next, this is this is all the stuff. It's scandalous. It's outrageous. I will tell you that if they're talking about this. If this is the thing that is up front, what is on the other side of the vestibule, when you pass through that second set of doors, will make your skin crawl. Let me be more accurate. It will make your skin try to rip itself off of your body. You have a cardinal in the church who's the author of a book back when he was a bishop, who's author of a book that ritualize that that consecrates in an in the most evil way the sexual act. And the reason why I know that we're just that this is actually just scratching the surface and it goes so much further than that is because the language that he uses to make to do the descript to make the description is the exact language 
in the ritual preparation manuals distributed by the satanic cults that do this as a religion. And to the credit of everybody who's talking about it, to the credit of everybody who's covering this as news and who is rightly scandalized and outraged, none of them are talking about that particular aspect because they're actually Catholic. because they don't have the time in the depths of the occult. And my biggest issue with talking about this topic, the thing that pains me the most, is not that we have a cardinal in the church who's doing this, who's talking about it, who's writing these things. It's not even that he's the head of the dicastery of the doctrine of the faith. It's not even that, like, legitimately, it's not even that he's in a job. I'm not, I'm not even actually terribly bothered by the fact that, well, I mean, I am bothered. But compared to the other stuff, I am not actually bothered by the fact that this is actually coming out of the office, the holy office of the Inquisition, or what had been. I'm not bothered by the fact that this cardinal, who is the prefect, in charge of, of protecting the deposit of the Catholic faith. And the reason why I'm not bothered by that is because he's already come out and said that basically there is no deposit of the faith, which is, which is a heresy and a blasphemy in and of itself. So it doesn't surprise me. I'm really not shocked by this. The thing that bothers me about it is that there are so many people there are so many people who don't see this and I don't actually have, because I'm not an investigative journalist, I don't have a way to prove this. I wish I could, get, I wish, in all honesty, I wish that I could manage to talk with someone who is actually an investigative journalist and send them out on the hunt to go find the evidence of what it is I'm talking about. Because it's there. It exists. I know it in my bones. It exists. I don't know who is involved, but I know that Cardinal Fernandez has outed himself by the way he wrote those books, by the language, the specific language he used to write those books. He wrote those books He wrote those books using the exact same language of Buckley. Or Buckland, excuse me. I keep saying Buckley. Buckland. He wrote those books using the exact same language of Crowley. He wrote those books using the exact same language of A.E. of Alfred. Alfred? Edward Waite, A.E. Waite. He wrote those books using the exact same language of Alethus Levy, of H.P. Blavatsky, 
and a few other people who I won't name because most people don't know who they are. And it's hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn and has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Behold, when other men, better men, were spending their years studying the faith, I was studying the anti-faith. And so when I hear a cardinal, a prince of Holy Mother Church, using a language only known to the enemy, And I'm not, this isn't, this isn't the -the run-of-the-mill heresy. It is, to be sure. I don't even know that I would call it the -the run-of-the-mill blasphemy. And it is, for sure. This is a prince of the church. advocating for the practices and policies of the enemy. The enemy of God, the enemy of Holy Mother Church, the enemy of humanity. I'll extend the offer to anybody to to anybody who wants to actually do the interview. I'll extend the offer. I'm even willing to go dig up the sources again. Keep in mind, I had volumes on this stuff. I'll extend the offer to anybody who wants to do the interview. I'll put it like that. If you're interested, you can reach me at Caleb at RadioFreeCatholic.com. 
shoot me an email or you can actually hit me hit me up with a direct message on on x twitter whatever um at caleb mechanic all one word at caleb mechanic um If you have the stomach to actually go through the details, I can tie them all together. Um, I would highly recommend no. I would recommend that you don't dig into it. It's going to, it's going to dirty you. It's going. You look. What he wrote in the book. To have the book is near occasion of sin. A sin against chastity, a sin, you know, the violations of the sixth and ninth commandments. Um, to have the book, you cannot read the book and maintain sufficient custody of the mind. Some people can. The average person can't. You can't read these things and have sufficient custody of the mind to not be. I'm going to put it in quotes, disturbed. Because I don't necessarily mean violently disturbed. I don't necessarily mean um, unsettled. The fact is, is, mo- is, is the person, excuse me, the person with today's average temperament, today's average level of virtue, I got to be honest with you, I would not be surprised in the slightest if you read the book and you were opened up to possession. It's like that. What he's talking about, the way he's describing it, everything he's talking about, we're not just talking about a near occasion of sin. It is a direct attack against the souls of the faithful, launched straight out of the mouth of the evil one, through the pen of Cardinal Fernandez. That is how I would describe it. And there's a part of me that's glad that we're to this point. Because I take all of these things and I measure them and I look at where we're at. And all of these things that come out, they allow me to kind of take a, you know, take the temperature of how close we are. How close we are to something that is earth shattering. I'm going to say apocalyptic, and I don't mean in the fully biblical sense. Because this all could just be another prefigurement. But I want you to remember that a cardinal who wrote a book that was a primer on sex magic published a document in the last few weeks signed by the Pope, basically allowing these things to come to pass, basically regularizing this conduct, basically saying you don't have to be Catholic to be Catholic. That's this whole thing in a nutshell. How much further does this go? I have honestly no idea. 
I can't even imagine. Mostly, I can't imagine this carries on for too much longer. But I can tell you that if where we're at is any indication of where we're going, get on your knees and pray that God shortens the time. Because I'll tell you this right now. If God doesn't intervene, if he doesn't shorten the period of time and start to pull the trigger on some of these other, on some of these other apocalyptic events, then in 2033, if God returns, if our Lord and Savior's parousia is in 2033, and we keep in this direction, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, when he comes back to earth, will not find the faith. I'm not going to talk about what should happen to Cardinal Fernandez. I don't care. Everything's going on in the Vatican. It can't last forever. It can't. So... Get on your knees and pray. In point of fact, actually, I would recommend you pay, pray specifically this prayer. In one of the addenda, of course, in one of the addenda, in the recolta, depending on the publication that you have, there's a prayer to obtain the sanctification of the clergy, composed by Pope Pius Twelfth, There's a prayer in the Recolta that's to be said by the clergy. And I know they're not going to say this, but if you happen to be a, if you happen to be a priest, I'm going to go ahead and read this to you. And I'd recommend that you pray it if you're a priest. Domini esu, pontifex aeterne, pastor boni, fons vitae, qui nos nullis nostri suffragantibus meritus, ex peculiari sacratissima cordis tui munere, in sacerdotum tuorum ordinem aggregasti ad illa implenda vota, quae gratia tua mentibus nostris aspirat, auxiliantes misericordiae tuae, nobis larga dona concere. Tu, qui pro nobis sanctificasti, te ipsum ut simus et ipsi sancti in veritate. Fac ut abia cae tues, numquam digredientes in doctrina tua solertes, in exequendis leges tuae, praeceptis fideles. Suavissimi cordes tui, imaginem in nostris mores referamus, et in te, et per te, in omnibus rebus patri placiamus caelesti. There's more, but I'm not going to read the whole thing because you guys should be able to find it by that as a priest. For the laity, it's a little bit simpler because it's in English. O oh, Jesus, eternal high priest, good shepherd, font of life, who by a special favor of thy most tender heart 
has given to us our priests in order to accomplish in us these those holy ideals with which thy grace inspires our hearts. Let thy mercy, we beseech thee, come to the aid of our priests. Grant them, O Jesus, lively faith in their works, unshakable hope in their trials, and fervent charity in their intentions. May thy word, radiant with eternal wisdom, become, through continual meditation, the never-failing nourishment of their interior life. May the examples of thy life and passion be renewed as a light. No, excuse me. Be renewed in their conduct and sufferings for our instruction and as a light and consolation in our sorrows. Grant, O Lord, that our priests, free from all earthly attachments and solicitous for thy glory alone, may persevere to their last breath in the fulfillment of duty and in purity of conscience. And when in death they deliver into your hands a task, well done may they have in thee, Lord Jesus, their master on earth the eternal reward of the crown of justice in the glory of the saints. Amen. Pray for the priests. Pray for holy priests. I got to be perfectly honest with you. One of the my, like, <clears throat> one of the things that really bothers me about the Recolta is that the prayers are not um, indulgenced in the concrete way that they were before, um, and in the current manual of indulgences, which I think is total trash. Um, we've cut everybody off because it, from the graces because prayer. Now, mind you, prayer begets what it signifies. So by praying for the sanctification of holy, and have and the and for God to give us holy priests, this was actually such a big deal. It was an indulgence. It was a partial indulgence of a thousand days. That prayer to beg our Lord for priests. The tragedy of the Second Vatican Council is not the council itself. It's that it was the turning point. This synod that's currently going on is another turning point. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, in matters of the church, we need to be praying. See, because here's the thing. I can write Pope Francis a thousand letters begging with him to stand down, pleading with him to stand down, trying to coerce him to resign. I could do the same thing and write him a thousand letters to try and get Tucho Fernandez fired. I don't know if you noticed signing petitions not really effective. I mean, they make you feel good. They make you feel like you're doing something. I signed a petition to try and stop abortion. 
We signed petitions for almost 50 years trying to overturn abortion. How many years was the March for Life a thing? I mean, you're talking about a protest. These are all pro-lifers that are going to Washington, D.C., and they're protesting the existence of Roe v. Wade and protesting, trying to get somebody to move something in some direction, and they didn't. The Canadian truckers protested all of the nastiness that was going on in Canada. They went to Ottawa, and then they were actually painted and lambasted as enemies of the state. They had the bank accounts frozen. They had all of these horrible things done to them. <clears throat> it was terrible. January 6th, similar. They didn't freeze a whole bunch of bank accounts because I, I'm actually 90% certain that people would have started just burning banks down. Um, but nothing we have ever done in protest has been effective. And I got to be perfectly honest with you. It would be a horrifyingly bad idea a horrifyingly bad idea for somebody to decide to do something violent to one of God's anointed. Because I gotta be honest with you, like you would absolutely have to believe that there's no validity to their holy orders to be able to do anything to them. And you would have to absolutely believe that there was no validity, because if you for a moment suspected that they may actually have valid orders, then they are God's anointed. And sacred scripture actually already has much to say. King David already gave the example of what happens when you lay a finger on God's anointed, when the two men claimed to have slain Saul. And those things don't change. To say nothing of the fact that I'm pretty sure there's, there's actually severe punishment in canon law. I don't know for sure, but I'm fairly certain that killing a priest or a bishop is a really, really big deal. You're not going to convince the Swiss guard to arrest Cardinal Fernandez. You're not going to convince the Swiss guard to go in and roust Pope, the Pope out of the Vatican and haul him out in handcuffs. We can't even trust the cardinals, which have sufficient numbers now to start slinging dubia left and right to see what the heck is going on. They've come out and flat out rejected in many places fiducia supplicants. We, the, it's, the motor has been primered to actually conduct an ouster. But we're nowhere near that point. And if we're nowhere near that point, if we're two, three, four, maybe five years away, how much more damage can they do? I mean, this has been hot and heavy since 2019. Like, there was a few things here and there, 2013, 14, 15, 16, 17, start to pick up a little bit. 18, summer of shame, that was sucked. <clears throat> 19, 
Still kind of coming off of the McCarrick stuff. Okay, that really sucks. 2020 with the coof and the lockdowns and the blackout of the entire Catholic Church during Lent. And since then, it's been item after item after item after item. So I don't know what it is that you're supposed to do. I know I'm a layman. And we're talking about the Pope and the Prefect for the Doctrine of the Faith. We're talking about two of the three most high-ranking people in all of the church hierarchy. The two most important people of the church hierarchy. And I know the Pope's not going to depose Fernandez, and I know Fernandez cannot by himself depose the Pope, and I know that we haven't even figured out exactly what it actually takes to depose a Pope, and whether or not there's, not, and whether or not there's going to be significant natural and supernatural ramifications for even doing such a thing. Because we're not talking about a natural mark. We're not talking about a temporal mark of office. The temporal mark of the, of the office of the papacy is one thing. But this is a divine, supernatural mark. And so we, the laity, must sit and wait. So while you're waiting, you should pick up this big leather-bound copy of the Recolta and go through its um, 600, 620, 630 pages. Large, bold print, well-spaced so that, you know, I mean, I, I need reading glasses now and I can read most of this actually quite clearly. So, what I would recommend is you go, you pick up this book, you check out the devotions that are in there, you read through, and find the prayers that you're looking for. Because the church is 2,000 years of prayers, it has a treasure trove. And you can target, and I mean, you're not, a super, presumably, presumably, some of the indulgence stuff actually works out. I don't really know. But whether or not it works, the fact is, is that if you're in a state of grace and you can do these efficacious prayers and in doing the devotion, and then actually, i got to be honest with you, maybe it's better that the, recult, that the indulgences that were listed in the Recolta were abrogated so that we can actually do these penances and pray these prayers without the expectation to receive the indulgence. And maybe we just check off the blocks. Hey, this was supposed to be a plenary indulgence. Because most of what's in here that'll get you a plenary indulgence requires you to pray the same sequence of prayers day after day after day for at least a month. And included with that, you got to go to confession and receive Holy Communion. You have to be in a state of grace and you have to be predisposed 
in, in the way that the church actually expects you to be predisposed for plenary indulgence anyway. And so if you do those things, maybe, just maybe, and mind you, I'm, not, I'm also not talking about not praying the rosary. I'm talking about find five or six prayers in there, but one or two prayers. <clears throat> There's a sequence that is a, a set of prayers for every day of the week that I have every intention of doing. I have every intention of reading this. <clears throat> and I've and I plan on actually starting it on Ash Wednesday and carrying it at least through the end of Advent, possibly all the way to next to the Epiphany next year. I don't know. But my intention is actually because it's <clears throat> a fairly decent size of prayers. Devotion to the Blessed Mother, which is kind of a big deal. And then there's that devotion for priests that I'm going to tie in with the Auxilium Christianorum. <clears throat> because we do have a chance at a miraculous level of vocations with this next generation. I don't know if you know this. If we make it to the point where these guys that were, were good, solid, holy priests outnumber all of these abominations, we'll accidentally start getting some good people in there. But you know what's not going to happen? It's not going to happen if we don't pray for it, if we don't actually, like, we gotta, God is waiting to give us all of the things that are for our spiritual benefit. Are you going to argue that having fewer priests and having 600 priests or 700 and whatever priests in the Society of St. Pius X is pretty much the only thing to hold down the whole fort for all of Catholicism that's still in communion with Rome? You're going to tell me that's the way to go? You're going to tell me that, you know, casts of errant bishops and priests are going to be the magical, mystical ones that manage to somehow hold on to the faith without Peter? We're going to lose tens of thousands of Catholics to the Orthodox, the schismatic sect, who can't even, who don't even actually agree with the natural law as defined, with the law as defined by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ regarding adultery and divorce and remarriage. Well, it's better than the condition of the Catholic Church. Well, you know, if you were a better Catholic, you'd stay. If you were a better Catholic, you'd fight it out. I know that sounds challenging and abrasive. I know it sounds like I'm attacking people. And on a level, I suppose I am. But the thing that none of you are doing, who are all in those other positions, those positions that basically run away, You're not putting the footwork in to get the priests. You're not putting the footwork to get the better bishops, to get the conversion of these guys, to get the conversions of the ones who are in the hierarchy so that we don't end up with a Francis II that's going to finish the auto-demolition of the church. You don't get the conversion of bishops without prayer. 
These guys are already bishops. They're already they already got the little miters, the little copes, and the whole big deal that like they've you know they've already got the status and the and the and the, and the position. So why are we going to pray for God to suddenly magically consecrate a battalion of good bishops, holy bishops, when we could just when we could just pray for the conversions of the ones we got? Anyway, I haven't made the decision yet. I believe I'm going to be making some significant changes to this podcast and maybe standing up another podcast. I don't know yet. Because I'm going to be honest with you, I'm tired of covering the news. We know where we're headed. Okay? We're in a time of prophecy. And it may not be the apocalypse, but it's definitely an apocalypse. So we may not be looking at the Antichrist, but we definitely have an Antichrist. I don't know who he is yet. That's why I'm... I don't know. This could be a prefigurement or it could be the real deal. But the fact is, is that we're cruising for a bruise and we are on our way to some serious stuff. And there are a lot of people who are doing the prayer. They're putting in the footwork. And there are a lot of us who aren't. Prayer begets what it signifies. You want holy priests, you better pray for holy priests. You want more priests, you better pray for more priests. You might want to do what Our Lady asked and start putting in holy rosaries. The reason why I mentioned that prayer, it's not actually that that prayer should be said by itself. In all honesty, that prayer should be the intro to a rosary. To a rosary, to a divine mercy chaplet, to a chaplet of the Holy Face, to the chaplet of St. Michael, to the chaplet of St. Joseph. To the chaplet of Our Lady of Sorrows. That should be the opener. We need to start actually putting it as a serious intention. Not just, oh Lord, grant us priests. Oh Lord, grant us many priests. Oh Lord, grant us many holy priests. Nah, dog. We need to actually start getting serious about what it is that we're asking for. I need chaste, holy, doctrinally sound priests who are in love with Our Lady, in love with Our Lord, who are absolutely all about the Blessed Sacrament, all about the celebration of the Mass, all about getting people to confession, all about getting souls to heaven, who are here to do the work of the Lord, who are here to reap the Lord's harvest. That's what I'm looking for. I'm not looking, oh, hey, we want this, we want this, we want this. I want a million dollars. Is a million dollars going to do me any good? I don't know. Doubt it, honestly. I mean, you know, the money would help, but is it going to change my life dynamically? Probably not. Maybe make things worse. But you know what I know would be good for my salvation? 
to not have to drive 200 miles to find a good priest. You know what would help families get into heaven? Not having to commute for two hours to go to a holy mass, a good holy mass. You know what helps communities? The faithful Catholics who are absolutely hardened in the faith, not having to abandon their local community to drive five towns over or three counties over or clear into a whole nother state to find a place to worship. What would help is if the Catholic Church five blocks away had a priest who was solid, who was holy, who was intelligent, who was dedicated to our Lord, dedicated to our Lady, and dedicated to getting souls into heaven. And you don't get that with protests. You don't get that with petitions. You get that with prayer. You get that by meriting the grace so that God can actually pour out His graces, open up the fount of grace, and give us the leaders that we need and get rid of all of these leaders that we most certainly deserve. If any of you actually watched The, uh, the Remnant this week, uh, this past weekend, you probably think that's an attack. I mean, you know, it's a warning. I love Remnant TV. I, you know, the Remnant newspaper. I, I, I love Michael Matt. I love what he's doing over there. I love the fact that they've been fighting holy. They've been fighting for holy tradition. I love it. But his action, I don't. I don't think that's the action that really gets us there. I love John Henry Weston. I love what they're doing over at LifeSite News. I love their whole team, their staff. I love everything. I love everything that they're working on. But their idea of action? I mean, we did that for 50 years to no avail on the issue of life. Are souls not more important? So maybe we try something more. Maybe we try something ascetic. Maybe we try something the way Catholics would. The Holy League won the Battle of Lepanto, not from the cannons, though they had cannons. They won the La Battle of Lepanto, not from the ferocity of their fighters. And without a doubt, the soldiers and the warriors and sailors in, in the Holy League's fleet, were valiant. The Holy League won the Battle of Lepanto because before the battle started, the chorus of Ave Maria, Gratia Plena, Dominus Tecum, could be heard. The chorus 
of Gloria Patri et Filio et Spiritui Sancto could be heard. The chorus of Salve Regina Mater Misericordiae could be heard. The chorus of Pater Noster Quiest in Caelis could be heard. Because before the Battle of Lepanto, before the cannon fire, and the sa- before the sails were struck and the cannon fire and the cannon fire blared, the Latin phrase "This is my body" could be heard. Because in the fleet, on every ship, there were priests who were saying, Domini, ego vos absolvo, nomine patris et fili, et spiritus sancti. Amen. That's what won the Battle of Lepanto. That's what lined up the Holy League's victory. They did act, to be sure. But I also want to point out They didn't send a a petition to the sultan. They didn't stand in front of the sultan's house and chant, although that would have actually been kind of terrifying in those days. Because they took to the seas, they drew their beads, and then they drew their swords. Not their pens, their swords. Now, we can't draw our swords against the apostates who wear cassocks and miters. Or clerical suits and miters. But we can draw our beads. We can hold our, we can hold our hands high in, in salute with the holy crucifix of our Lord. And we, call, and we can call out to Our Lady, Ave Maria. And that, dear family, will be what wins us the day. Remember, prayer begets what it signifies. And the church has 2,000 years of prayers. Pretty sure you're going to be able to find what you're looking for in a book like the Recolta. If you're not actually targeting the prayers for these things, we're not necessarily asking our Lord for his help. So maybe we should think of doing that. Pray for the church. Pray for the nation. Pray for all of us retards. I mean, seriously, all of us retards in Catholic social media. And not a one of them put together what it was that was actually coming out of those books. And it's just because they didn't have the exposure. That's it. It's actually to their credit that they had no idea what Tucho Fernandez was writing in those books. This is Caleb the Mechanic with Radio Free Catholic. May God bless you and the Virgin protect you. In nomine Patris et Filii, Spiritus Sancti. Amen.